What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is, this is so stupid, but there's a blog that, you know, follows TCU baseball. And of course me in high school, you know, I log on and, you know, figure out who all the other guys are and, you know, they rank all of the recruits, you know, one to 20 and guess who's last. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we're talking to Preston Morrison, a four-time All-American right-hander at TCU and one of the greatest pitchers in recent college baseball history. Preston's run at TCU was pretty unlikely. TCU was his lone Division I offer as he carried just a low to mid-80s fastball as a high schooler. We talk about how to attack hitters and get guys out at such a high clip. Preston had a 185 career ERA between the Mountain West and the Big 12. Uh, we, we talk about how to attack hitters, get guys out at a high clip when you're not throwing gas. It's kind of similar in a way to last episode's guest, Daniel Herrera. It's been really fun lately listening to two smart guys break down the craft of pitching. We go into his career at TCU. He was a part of back-to-back Omaha teams, so we dive into those runs. And of course, his professional career, going from college All-American to senior sign, kind of back to the bottom of the totem pole. It was a really fun episode. Personally, I love hearing guys who've had success at a high level talk about pitch creation, attacking hitters. I, I just eat that stuff up. So it was really great for Preston to stop by and tell his talk about his career on the show. A quick audio note. I had some some trouble, just some just nerdy audio stuff. I had some trouble with my local recording. It didn't come out well. I had to revert to my Zoom audio. So when I talk, you will hear you know, some weird clicking in, in certain places. But uh, fortunately, you're listening to the show not to hear me talk, to hear Preston talk. So we're all good there. Uh, episodes of Phenom the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Uh, BA is rolling out top 10 list. I'm sure Rule 5 preview is coming soon. Lots of great stuff going on at BA. And with that, let's talk to Preston Morrison. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom of the Farm, he was an eighth-round pick of the Cubs in the 2015 draft after an All-American career at TCU, right-hander Preston Morrison. Preston, thanks so much for joining from Phenom of the Farm. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. Really appreciate it. You got it, man. I've been been looking forward to this. Uh, gives me a lot of a lot of college baseball to talk, which listeners of the show know that I, I enjoy enjoy diving into that. Um, I'm going to start you off right away. When did you first realize you had a future at the next level of baseball, being college baseball? So when you were you when you were an amateur, when did you realize that that you were going to have a shot to play college ball? Um, it wasn't until the summer before my uh, my senior year. Honestly, I had played you know 
the the travel ball circuit for a while in Charlotte. I had um, been with my academy for a few years and kind of informally talked to a few different college programs, but none of them were, uh, you know, giving me much, much concrete feedback. And it really took a, a very lucky and fortuitous kind of line of events for me to, you know, pitch in front of Coach Sloss and Coach Maisie of TCU. And, um, you know, once I got some recognition from them, some, some feedback from them, that was really when I was like, okay, I, I, if, if they, uh, you know, think I can be a pitcher at the next level, then that's, that's uh, you know, that, that's some confidence. So before that, had you been a guy who was dead set on wanting to play college baseball in some facet, or you were just hoping it, it might work out? You know, I, I really did, didn't have, uh, I wasn't going to be a Juco guy. I, I didn't really want to find myself just playing baseball, just to, just to play baseball. I kind of had some, some, some requirements or of the school. Uh, I wanted to go to a good, good school, preferably a D one or big D two. And, um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I was really focused on getting into the right college. With where you were at, I was looking at a piece uh, written before the College World Series, the 2015 College World Series, and kind of talking about you and and how you you found your way to TCU. Kind of like you mentioned, you had the your you know it was fortuitous enough that you were able to throw in front of uh, you know Schloss and Maisie at what I assume was World Wood Bat in Georgia. There's there's that adage of like if you're good enough, they'll find you. And in the piece, it's it it has a quote from your coach or something Schloss said your coach said was that you were getting guys out on the regular and he couldn't get anyone to look at you. Is that, is that how things were lining up and that you were seeing success on the baseball field that wasn't translating to looks off of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as a junior, I was probably throwing 77 to 81, you know, that's not anything to, to look twice at, but you know, I, I was doing well enough where, Every time I was going out, I was throwing five or six innings, not giving up any runs. And I'm on the same team as guys that are committed to ACC schools, playing against, um, you know, Division One commits every weekend, getting them out. Um, you know, one thing that I always kind of laugh at when I think, think back about the recruiting process is there, there was an ACC school that talked to me for, you know, over a year, just very informally. They saw me pitch probably about seven or eight times enough to get a really good look. I never had any issue, you know, uh, pitching in front of them. Uh, the results were fine. Uh, and, you know, when TCU gave me an offer, I, you know, told them about it and they said, uh, in no uncertain, like to paraphrase here, they, they said they didn't have the balls to, to offer a kid <laughs> that threw 81 even though they knew that I would have success at the next level. And so, you know, that was just one thing that, you know, I, I, I kind of go back and think about from, from time to time. With that, and this is kind of going to be a theme of some of the things I want to talk about. Was there, was there ever, you know, the, uh, the classic, the Michael Jordan meme, and I took that personally. Did you ever have that both in high school and then in college when the results on the field say that you should be getting a lot, I guess a lot more, a lot more praise 
for, and, and just a lot more looks from whatever that next level might be than you were. Is that something that, that frustrated you just because you were not the, the prototypical, you know, you're tall, but you're not, you, you weren't throwing 90, you were barely throwing 80. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say that was something that, uh, you know, motivated me, um, mainly like off the field to where, you know, I, I did commit myself to work hard, you know, at practice, after practice. And in those moments, you're not really thinking about, you know, articles or what other people are saying. You're, you're committing to your team and you're committing to just getting better. But if there was ever a day where I, I couldn't find, you know, 100% effort, that's something that I, I could try to, you know, you know, lean on and tr- try to uh, use as motivation. Something that you did really well, obviously, early on in college, and I assume this is something from high school as well, is uh, just control and command, not not walking guys, um, you know, using movement to have guys beat the ball into the ground. Is control and command, is that God-given or is that learned? I think it it, it was learned. You know, I had to be. Um, I didn't really actually start pitching. Um, I, I wasn't a primary pitcher until probably 15 years old. So for the most part, when I was pitching at a younger age, I was, uh, you know, just clean up in little league games and uh, the, the start of the travel ball circuit, I would come in if, if we ran out of pitching. And so for the most part, I was just trying to hit spots, you know, you know, move the game along. And I, I, I do credit my, my dad whenever we um, would throw and practice pitching. He would always, you know, preach on pitching to the L uh, of a hitter you know, inside, you know, on the inside part of the plate and then just keeping the ball low. And so we would play games and, you know, run through all these different, you know, practice games and having fun like that. Um, it was definitely something that I learned from him and also just uh, j- just having to, to have that location because I'm not someone who would ever just line up and throw three fastballs down the middle and be able to, to live to tell about it. <laughs> Walk me through the recruiting process then with TCU. You get you you pitch in front of Schloss and Maisie. They contact you. You visit campus. How much did you feel like you still had to sell yourself to them them a little bit because no one else was kind of coming out of the woodwork to offer you? And then what were what were the guarantees, if any, made made to you as to why you should you know come essentially halfway across the country to Fort Worth? Um, I, I would think I would say the two things that, um they really, you know, told to me where that, you know, we want you here. We have a spot for you in the fall. And then they also pointed to this guy named Trent Appleby, who was a very similar pitcher to me. And they said, he, you know, I honestly forget now, but he was probably getting 40 to 60 innings each, each year he threw every year. And they kind of pointed to him and said, you know, he's very similar to what you do. We have that, that kind of envisioned for you. Um, and then as far as, you know, trying to prove uh, myself, uh, you know, on that stage, I, I do remember this article that was written. This is, this is so stupid, but there's a blog that, you know, follows TCU baseball. And of course me in high school, you know, I log on and, you know, figure out who all the other guys are and, you know, they rank all of the recruits, you know, one to 20 and guess who's last. Oh man. And also, and guess who also, uh, you know, I, I don't know why this stuck with me, but they, uh, they also 
said I was from North Dakota instead of NC. <laughs> so, they, so they put Waxhaw, North Dakota instead of Waxhaw, North Carolina. So um, I thought that was pretty funny, but, you know, that is pretty funny. But at the same time, that's when I probably started to realize that, you know, people that are writing all this stuff, you know, they, they might not know everything, right? How, how could they, how, how could someone like that that's on a blog really give uh, a true evaluation of me. Yeah. They probably never seen me. Don't know what I look like. Um, but um, I'm probably rambling at this point, but um, yeah. No, I mean, that's extremely interesting. That's very candid. And I, I really, cause I mean, with, with college baseball, there are teams bring in their class every year in the fall. And every, every year, either, whether at semester or at the end of the spring guys leave, especially now with the transfer portal, but even then, like I, there's a member of your freshman class who ended up playing with me at my division two school. Like that's a, you know, that's a thing that happens. You said that they said that, that the coaches said they have a spot for you in the fall. The season is in the spring. So you get there and it is, it is open tryout season. Essentially, if you're the quote unquote number 20th, you know, ranked player in the class, like how, how confident did you feel? Again, you had the success in high school, but the numbers say in division one college baseball, it is better to throw hard and you don't throw hard. How, like, how did you step on campus having confidence in yourself, knowing that statistics say that you probably shouldn't have much success at this level? Yeah. I I do think coach Maisie was an awesome asset in that, in that regard. He really allowed me to be myself in, term, in terms of pitching with other guys. There, there might have been um, trying to develop more velocity, develop a, a different breaking ball change up. But for me, it was really just taking what I had coming in and um, just making everything a little more sharper, um, getting used to the, the, the grind, uh, getting used to workouts, getting used to just kind of a little bit more higher level of competition. Um, I remember one of the first things that he would do with us as pitchers was once you go through your, your throwing program, get your long toss, then you start doing your bullpens in the fall. The first thing is you throw a live BP to, to hitters, but you're only allowed to throw fastballs. And so, you know, other guys are going up there that they're, you know, they're blowing chunks. They're, they're throwing, you know, nineties and up and, uh, you know, they're doing pretty well. And I stand up there barely breaking 80 and I'm just, you know, putting the ball where I need to getting weak contact. And that's kind of one thing that, that takes a little pressure off your shoulders. You're like, okay, well, I don't actually have to throw 90 plus. I don't have to be some power stud to get outs. Um, and so from there, just building off that confidence was really, uh, was really important for me because I had a really good fall and that's, that's how I just continued to build confidence into the, the spring. With having that good fall, you get there and Kyle Winkler's gone. Matt Perk is gone. Steven Maxwell is gone. So three of the four guys from the previous year's teams to previous year's team who started at least 10 games, three of them are gone. It might not have, you know, if at that point you're just trying to make the team or something, it might not have impacted your mentality at all, but does seemingly like, Hey, there's a wide open starting rotation um, versus, you know, if you'd arrived there and the year before and, you know, Winkler and Perker there and they're both projected high picks and it's like, okay, well, they're definitely, they've definitely got two of two of the weekend, 
you know, starting jobs. Does that, did that impact your thinking at all, knowing that essentially the weekend is wide open? Yeah. Well, definitely in the fall, it was across the board. So I, I did start probably a third or maybe up to a half of the, my freshman year as a bullpen guy, but I knew that across the board, it was, it was a young staff, not a lot of innings returning. And so that was something that I, you know, had in mind, like I wanted to play. I, uh, you know, if I felt like that I was putting in the work and getting, getting the results and doing everything I needed to, um, that my opportunities in the games would, would end up coming my way. You have, like you, you mentioned, you, you start out the, the first half of the season, you are, you're in the bullpen and it's, you know, shorter stints and things like that. When you, after you make that first college start and you transition into the rotation, the, the stats say you saw success the whole way. Were there things that, because in the bullpen, you rarely, you know, you don't have to flip the order usually, or you, you certainly don't have to do it three times or, or, you know, get to the, get to the third time through. Were there things that were not working the second or third time around that you had to make adjustments for, or was it, you just took whatever you were doing in the bullpen, took it to the starting rotation and everything kind of flowed smoothly. I think it's, it's really interesting because w- that final kind of, you know, look in terms of the weekend rotation was even though it was three righties, it was me, Stefan Crichton, and then Andrew Mitchell, uh, and then also Brandon Finnegan coming in there too as well. And so we all had a little bit different look. And I feel like I benefited the most just from being the oddball, right? Um, they might have seen um, a hard throw and righty the night before, and then for me to come in as – uh, a guy with more movement, uh, played off my changeup a lot more, um, giving him a different look. And then as far as, you know, uh, getting through the lineup three times, um, I tried to really pitch fastball changeup the first time through the order. I was not – my slider was not something I really uh, trusted until junior or senior year. It was a pitch that I could either throw right down the middle <laughs> or about three feet off the plate. And so for some righties that have the, um, the plate discipline, discipline, it didn't really work. But for the most part, I didn't really try to change too much. Um, uh, if I didn't have a pitch one day, then obviously you put that in your pocket. But um, for the most part, I was just trying to make a good pitch every, uh, every pitch that I had. So when you face righties as a guy who, if for listeners, if you have it, if you haven't picked up on this, or you haven't watched press and pitch, it's a lower, it's a lower slot. You're not like a side armor, but certainly a low three quarters. Your ball gets a ton of natural dive going, you know, arm, arm side run. And then the changeup runs the same way, obviously at a different speed when you're facing righties and you're not ripping off a breaking ball as much, are you essentially having to live on the, just either on the inside of the plate or just trying to backdoor your fastball? Cause you don't want it to run over the middle. Yeah, you know, trying to go fastball both sides of the plate, trying to, you know, X the plate or X the corners is what, you know, we would try to to to, to say. Um, I, I really like my changeup because it, it's not a traditional changeup. I actually ran some, you know, advanced metrics on it when I was with the Cubs, and it would played more like a splitter than a true changeup. Um, it was usually about four miles an hour, slower than my fastball and so for the most part it wasn't really the 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 change of speed that was getting guys it was the fact that my changeup would go more straight down and my fastball had more just straight lateral movement 
And then my sinker, which was, you know, technically a different pitch was more of a 45 degree angle. If that kind of makes sense, if you're looking at, um, you know, building out the, the, the pitch tree there. That's really interesting with the change up because a lot of time with the splitter, a lot of it is like, like getting on top of it and, and from higher arm angle guys and being able to have splitter action from that, that low three quarter slot seems like a, a big time asset. Yeah. I mean, I just threw the, the crap out of it. You know, um, I, I have really tiny hands. So breaking ball, like I, like I mentioned before, I, it just wasn't, you know, the sharpest thing in my toolkit when I, uh, first started pitching in my first couple of years at TCU. And so, you know, I think that really helped me because I really just choked the ball and I threw it as hard as I could. And I, um, I really just kind of grew comfortable with the fact of, you know, getting on top of the ball, even though you're right, I did have that low three quarters uh, slot. I, I still was getting on top of the ball. A lot of guys, when they are the, the sidewinders and maybe they dip their shoulder, the ball spinning, um, you know, like a top sideways, my ball was still spinning, um, you know, a little more, uh, you know, vertically more like a over the top guy. That is, yeah, that is very, very interesting. Um, with that, you, you transition in, into the rotation, you, your, your, your first college start, you go eight and two thirds. So like, well, welcome to, uh, welcome to the rotation. How, how many starts do you have to make before you're like, I'm a starter. I'm not going back to the bullpen. Um, tough question. I, I really didn't think about it like that. You know, I was, uh, really just kind of geared up for that first start. Um, it was the first time that, you know, a bunch of different people from my family were coming down to Fort Worth to watch, watch us play. I was actually pitching it against UNCW pitching against a kid that I played against in the 12 U North Carolina little league state championship. Um, who won that game? We lost. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. But so anyway, you get, you get to, you get your revenge then. <laughs> that's right. Revenge game for me. Um, but you know, really, I just, you know, I, I just really took every opportunity my freshman year um, because nothing was truly ever really settled. Um, I just really wanted to take every start, every inning, every opportunity and do the best that I could. Um, so I, I don't even know if there's a chance where, you know, I just think I kind of looked up and said, okay, like I've made X amount of starts, you know, it's, you know, I'm a starter. You're making these starts and the starts are going very, very well. You, you end the season as the, both the mountain West freshman of the year and the mountain West pitcher of the year. Was there ever a moment where you were like, even to yourself, like even you didn't admit it to anybody being like, this, this is kind of crazy. This, this, this doesn't make sense that I've had this much success this quickly after one school really came at you. I don't think I really thought about that stuff until the summer, you know, they, they hand out those awards at the conference tournament, but for the most part at that time, you know, we were, you know, fighting to become uh, an NCAA team, uh, a tournament team. We ended up making uh, not a very good showing in the Mountain West tournament. Um, I remember we were we were on Sports Center, not top ten, not once but twice. Uh, so that 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 was something that you know kind of soured the whole trip to Las Vegas. Um, and then you know I really just wanted to, to to be prepared, and so I went back to work and 
we thought we had a really good chance to win that A&M uh, regional. And um, I think we, we really prepared a lot. Um, we did a good job preparing for that. Um, so for me, I was, I didn't really think about it till the summer. I had the, uh, the two trophies in my, my hometown, my, my parents' bedroom or my, my, uh, my bedroom at my parents' house. And they've, they've kind of just stood there, uh, stayed there until, you know, this past, uh, fall when I moved into our, our new house here in Fort Worth. That uh, freshman year, you guys, you make it to the super regionals. You, you start the year's final game, which is just a loss in super regionals to UCLA. The, the following season, your last start is in the big 12 tournament also doesn't go your way. It's like very cliche to be like, Oh, what'd you learn from, you know, these, these tough postseason games that, that helped you later. You know, what did those experience teaches you? It's, it's cliche, but that's what I'm asking. Like, it might be nothing. It might, you know, but were there conscious lessons that you took from those starts when you were younger that you were able to transition to postseason success as an upperclassman? Yeah. And it's not even just from my my own personal experiences. It was watching other guys go through their successes and failures within the tournament and the postseason. Um, and I just I just felt like, you know, even though I, I did not get my first win until Omaha my senior year in the postseason, um, I felt like I did a good job of simplifying, just trying to stay on track, do what I do. Um, you know, the postseason is so much fun. I love following, uh, you know, the postseason, not just for TCU, but all the different regionals and supers that go on. But a lot of times if you're a player, that's not going to be the best thing for you, um, taking in all that atmosphere, taking in all the, the hype that, that goes into it. Um, for me, it was really about slowing down. I would always go out about 10 minutes before and try to just sit and just, you know, take in the crowd and make it my baseline, you know, playing in front of two or 3000 people like you do every weekend at Lupton is, uh, is a treat, but when it gets to be five, six, 7,000 people, and then 30,000 people in TDA, it's like, it's, it's a little bit different ball game because the, the noise level is different. You know, there's a lot more eyes. And so for me, just, slowing down, trying to simplify my game, stick to what I, I do better um, than try to, try to uh, you know, get lost in the hype or try to uh, just do too much. You returned to campus as a sophomore as the, the Mountain West pitcher of the year. Opposite of what we talked about from freshman year, where it's like trying to earn a spot and then, you know, trying to earn some innings, you've got a rotation spot. I would assume, I would assume you came into the, the, the fall thinking I'm, I'm going to be a starter in the spring. How does that change the work you put in the fall? Like, what did that, what did, I guess, just the, the security give you in, in, in the fall that helped your, your work process? Well, um, I don't think I really viewed myself as, you know, having earned a spot. Um, I, I think I viewed it as it's a new year, new opportunity. But then I also, you know, had a conversation with Coach Sarlos, who that was his first uh, his first year. I remember sitting in my bedroom in Waxhaw talking to him for about thirty minutes, and you know, he he said, "Hey, you've had a really good freshman year. You know, the the worst thing you can do is try to do that again. That that's the worst thing that you can do." And by, by that, he meant, 
you know, you, you have to go out there and approach each day of practice, each day, you know, at the yard as an opportunity, a new day um, to, to get better and to compete. And so for me, the, the mentality was day by day, let's get better. Let's get the team uh, better because we knew it was going to be a little bit different season going from the Mountain West to the Big 12. But um, yeah, for me, I was really just focused on the day to day. You mentioned Coach Sarlus now the now the head at TCU. Where where can you point to his influence in your development over your final three years at TCU? I really think he just continued to to harp on me getting better at who I am. He never tried to change what who I was, what I was doing. Um, I think us both being lower slot guys, we could trade some tricks. We uh, we fiddled with a cutter, you know, my senior year. Um, just for the most part, I think we really gelled just personality-wise. And so we both ha- had a really good uh, – I guess we just had a really good relationship. Um, and I really just cannot say enough about, uh, you know, what he did for me and how 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 much I think of him. You mentioned fiddling with pitches. Uh, la- I guess last like nerdy pitch thing I'm going to ask you is you you mentioned you you didn't really incorporate the breaking ball as much until you you were an upperclassman. In your BA draft report, it says you'll throw an either a, a low 70s curveball or you're sharpening it up for high 70s. How much of that is was like fiddling around with pitch grips and figuring out like oh if I do if I do it like this I can um, you know. I, it'll, it'll be loopier and slower or, or harder and sharper. And then how do you, you know, how do you decide in a game that it's time for this pitch versus that pitch? I love talking nerdy uh, <laughs> pitch grips and stuff. So uh, one step back is, you know, my, you know, quote slider is actually just a curveball from my arm slot. So, you know, a guy that throws over the top and throws a 12, six hammer, they're, they're, they're showing the, the back of their hand to the batter as they release it. Right. And so I was doing the same thing just from, you know, my low three quarter slot. And so that was my traditional breaking ball. So me, you know, trying to find a, a slider cutter, something a little harder to, to really, honestly, it was to get in on lefties. I had a hard time throwing that, that big loopier one, you know, down around uh, the strike zone and the, the lower part uh, low and in against lefties. And so that was a way for me to try to, okay, I'm going to start this right down the middle, maybe finish on the side a little bit and cut it just to try to, you know, uh, just provide a little bit different look because if you're always throwing fastballs in, some guys can just try, try and turn and burn that. And it was really just playing with it. It was never a pitch where I was going to throw it 20 times a game or anything like that. It was just maybe, you know, a handful of times, get someone off my fastball just to go back to it. And then just to just in the game, I just kind of know I, I won't, I won't give all my secrets, but I will tell you that my senior year, I probably called about half the pitches that I threw. I would signal to Los and Los would tell the catcher. And that's, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that, you know, I, when I'm out there and I'm, and I'm going well, I, I say am when I was out there and I was going well, I would, uh, I just had, you know, just so much confidence in, in the next pitch right after the, the one, um, the one before left my hand. 
I feel like by your senior year, you had built up enough collateral to be able to say, I want to call some of my own pitches. I think that that seems like a, that seems like a fair trade. It, it's interesting with the breaking ball thing. Cause I, and I sure listeners are tired of me talking about my own pathetic baseball career, but I always, especially from an arm slide, it, it was, it was as much of a confidence thing as anything and being able to trust that, that your breaker is going to go where you want it to go. And no matter how much you fiddle or you like the break here or whatever, if you, if you don't feel like you can rear back and throw that in the game and feel good about it, it's very tough to pitch off that. So it's interesting. All the, the little fixes you went through to finally find something that works, you know, two years after you got to college. Yeah. You know, I really just had to play with it. You know, there was a lot of times where I probably wore out some of our left-handed hitters and, uh, and BP or live BP that is, or, uh, scrimmages. And so that, that's what I really did my senior year was try to step out my, of my comfort zone whenever I had the opportunity of, uh, we would call it inexpensive experience, you know, just try things, try new ways to get people out. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it, it was really just trying to find something new. That sophomore year, speaking of new, you guys are now in the big 12. Um, you know, conference realignment is now a very familiar theme. Week in, week out, where do you see the differences between big, big 12 play, Mountain West play? It is a little less travel. Does that, does that matter at all? Um, you know, as a as a pitcher and as a starter who kind of only really had to worry about their one day uh, per weekend, I didn't really see too much of a difference. You know, it was kind of cool, you know, flying to uh, Colorado Springs, playing at Air Force, going to San Diego, going to all these different places. This small town, North Carolina kid had, you know, never dreamed of going to. That was really cool. Colorado is um, cool, but have you ever been to Waco? <laughs> um, I, I I will abstain from answering, saying anything further about Waco, but um, there's I always traffic. Big, I'll say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think the biggest thing was like the depth kind of changed. You know, we we faced really good hitters in the in the Mountain West. I mean, DJ Peterson hit like 600 that uh that 2012 season, but it was just like, okay, once you get past, you know, three, four, five, it kind of dropped off a little bit and more, you know, in the big 12, you you do have to pitch. You do have to worry a little bit more about those guys towards the bottom of the lineup. And then on the pitching side of things, um, just about everybody's got a plus arm uh, coming out of the bullpen. That's a draft ready arm. Just about everybody's got two or three frontline starters that are, you know, going to be drafted sometime, uh, you know, in the next few years, just kind of, um, just the depth was kind of the biggest thing that I saw a difference in that year was, was not the best offensive team in TCU history. It's a young team. Um, you know, Brandon Finnegan famously went zero and eight, like the best, the best zero and eight pitcher in, in college baseball history. Does it, does it change how you pitch? Like knowing keeping runs off the board is more imperative than ever. I mean, you, you kept runs off the board. You, I think you carried a one, five, one that year, but does it, does it change how you pitch when things, you know, aren't, aren't going your way offensively? I, I think that it's less like, uh, knowing that, you know, whatever the, the deficiencies of the offense were or, or were not, it was more, you know, we, we pitched really well. We had a very competitive, uh, you know, group of pitchers. We would all make make 
kind of a game within the game. So not only are we trying to, you know, beat whoever we were playing, we would also have these internal scorecards that we kept track of, you know, things such as how many one, two, three innings did you throw? Um, how many two strikes, two strike hits did you give up? That, that's a minus, you know, how many times did you throw 12 pitches or less in an, an inning just to see how effective you are. And so th- that was a bragging right among the, the, the pitcher group. So, um, you know, for me, I really thought about the game in two ways. If it's a tight game, I'm going to, you know, pitch a certain way. If it's a game where we're up eight to zero, I'm totally fine with giving up a solo home run. My, my job is to get the game going, finish the game as soon as we can. There's no point in trying to, you know, throw a shutout when it's eight to zero in the eighth inning. And, um, you know, you're at 75 pitches. My job then is to, to finish the game and save the bullpen for the next day. Not really a strategy question, but at that point, after two years of starting, what kind of, uh, what kind of dugout guy were you? I always say starters are very weird. You guys, you only have to be locked in one day a week. You can be whoever you want to be for those other six days. I saw, uh, from old clips, you are the, the rally cap stat guy. Is that, is that kind of your dugout vibe? The, the, the goofy guy or the guy who is the, uh, the catalyst for all the, the weird real, uh, rally traditions. I, I just kind of fell into it, honestly. Um, I, I, I honestly don't really remember where that specifically started. Um, I do believe it was our Sam Houston 22 inning game. My, uh, my junior year, that was a game that I threw seven innings started, had enough time to ice, you know, get back in and, you know, there were still two hours left in the game. Um, I really think that I was more of like, I'm paying attention to our, 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 our defense a little more intently. I was charting, you know, just, you know, two out of the other three days that I wasn't pitching. So obviously I had to lock in for that. And I also think just from a, uh, you know, rooting for the guys that you're, you know, working with day in, day out, you know, watching those guys pitch and see those guys have success was, was really fun. And then on the offensive side, you know, just trying to, you know, be some type of asset that, you know, I'm not coming in to, to give any type of uh, hitting, hitting advice, or I'm not going to be able to do anything hitting wise. So my job is to just kind of lighten things up if we need it. That's a, I mean, that's what I, I usually prefer with, with stars is them being kind of the, the, the light guys kind of, kind of keeping things even, um, that, that year, were you the Friday guy or the Saturday guy, sophomore year, sophomore year, I believe I threw a lot of Friday games. I, I, like we talked about before, I don't have the best long-term memory, but I do remember that I did pitch the first big 12 game on a Friday against Kansas and we won. And that's about it. Let me pull a little sampling here. Cause I, I'm curious if you're doing charting and stuff like that and you're, you know, you're trying to pick things up, but like Brandon Finnegan is pitching you and Brandon Finnegan are about as different as possible. He is left-handed. You are right-handed. Mm-hmm. He throws, he throws gas. You did not throw gas. What are you looking for? At least, especially when you're charting just in pitchers in general, guys who do different things than you, what are you still able to pick up? on hitters that you can then, you know, take into when you face them? I think, and, and this, you know, was all throughout my time at TCU and at, uh, and with the Cubs, 
but like I just really tried to pick up on um, maybe one, two punches that would work. So sometimes guys would be really susceptible to chase something, um, chase something away and then immediately lock up for the next pitch unless there's two strikes or just tendencies that guys have. So if, if I'm throwing uh, the, the third game of the series and I've noticed that this guy has swung first or second pitch every time, and that's something I, I want to know going in. I'm not going to lay a cookie in there. Um, but you're right. For the most part, there's not really much that I could have done to learn from uh, Finney pitch. I just kind of sat back and enjoyed the show. Uh, just three, wrote down a lot of fastballs and a lot of sliders for strikeouts. That that summer after your sophomore year, you were you're selected for the collegiate national team, like one of the greatest honors that an amateur baseball player can can have bestowed upon them. With Schloss as the head coach, is that like going to summer camp, but your parents are chaperones? <laughs> uh, in, in a way, you know, um, it, it it was a little different because um, he was there, but at the same time, I spent a lot more time with like. Uh, Coach Bianco. Coach Bianco is the de facto pitching coach. And so um, not only had we, uh, we had played them a few times. My freshman year, that was my first appearance. I got, I got to shove this uh, anecdote in here, but my first appearance, I come in bases loaded first game of the year. I go 3-0 to the, to the first batter and end up striking them out. Against um, Ole Miss for reference for the listeners. Yes, yes, yes. Against Ole Miss. Um, and then, you know, we go to, uh, to Ole Miss my sophomore year as well. So, um, you know, just played against him a few times and then also, uh, just getting to pick his brain about how he thinks about pitching. And, um, you know, obviously they had a, a, a few, you know, and still run a good amount of pitchers there, uh, that, that do have a lot of success. And so it, the biggest thing for me was just, um, getting together with a bunch of different guys from around the country and just kind of picking their brains a little bit. Um, it's not like it was a huge uh, summer for me. It wasn't like a draft summer or anything like that, but it was a really cool experience going to, uh, to Japan and just meeting a whole, a whole group of new people. Looking back on that roster, it is filled with, with first round picks, seven figure bonus guys, you know, that whole thing, your teammate, Riley Farrell. For, for instance, but like um, Beatty, Rodon, Brandon Finnegan, another teammate of yours, a lot of, a lot of guys, Schwarber. Yeah. yeah, a lot of guys on that team and a lot of pitchers on that team. Like there are like four or five first round or seven figure pitchers on that team. Luke Weaver's on that team. Your numbers are as good or better than pretty much everyone on that staff. Again, kind of going back to the same thing out of high school, you're getting guys out you're just not getting the same kind of looks. A lot of those guys, the following summer are getting drafted high, getting those bonuses, not like not singling out like Tyler Beatty, a guy who he made it to the big leagues. He's been a good pitcher, but you had, you had better numbers than him during your, your time in college. Was it, did you ever look around and think like, man, this is kind of like high school all over again, where I'm performing well, I'm just not getting looked at by the next level the same way. You know, on that team, I, I didn't really think about it like that. I knew that there were some really special arms there. And so for me, it was about trying to learn so I could get better. So there was maybe an opportunity down the road. Um, it was, you know, I was exposed to just different, different ways of doing things. Like Luke Weaver was probably the weirdest person I've ever met on a baseball field. 
Um, <laughs> he, he would do this thing where he, he gets on the rubber and he would spit, you know, a, a, you know, a, a wad of spit like halfway to home plate every before every inning. And then we go to Japan and that's not allowed there. You can't spit on the field. That's disrespectful to, uh, to the field. And so he, you know, honoring their wishes would do like a fake spit. And so uh, it was interesting to see guys like that. And then there were some other guys like Tyler Beatty was a little more serious on the mound. He, he, he prepared, uh, you know, a lot more in, in a routine way than some other guys that I'd seen before. Um, he, he utilized like uh, body bands um, or sorry, body blades, um, different types of bands. And so it was just really interesting to see that there's multiple ways to be a really good pitcher. There's multiple ways to prepare yourself. And then just me watching the games, there's uh, part of me was trying to, you know, take it in that I was watching a bunch of first rounders pitch. And then the other part of me was trying to take a couple notes in the back of my mind. Okay. Here's some things that maybe I could try to do. Did you ever run into Rodon in high school? North Carolina is not a huge state. No, I, I didn't. Um, I think we talked about this. He was, I think he's from like the, the triangle area, a little more up towards um, the Northern part of the state. Also my high school was super small. Um, we were two a, so uh, I don't, I don't think I ever ran into him on that, on that circuit. What was it like seeing his slider in person? In college, I mean, it's nasty now, but it, I mean, in college, and, it, and you got, I think, an even closer look at it uh, later. Yeah, um, I got to follow him after one of the, the 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 Cuba games. So he started and struck out like fourteen out of sixteen guys, or something ridiculous. And it was just a, a case of like, okay, he's going to get to two strikes, and he's going to strike this guy out. And it was it was pretty incredible um, to watch that. But then selfishly, um, he, he worked with Finney a little bit on Finney's slider. And so Finney started um, utilizing that, uh, that grip and maybe some of the things that Carlos uh, had, uh, had talked to him about. And so his junior year, man, that slider that, that, that both of them had were, were pretty special. Well, that junior year, I don't really have any more questions to ask you about your performance in particular. Like you had a, you had a one, three, two ERA, like, Cool. It's kind of business as usual at this point. I think we've covered all the, Hey, you're getting guys out thing, but the team, you guys, you cruise through big 12 play, you cruise through the big 12 tournament, you cruise through regionals, you win game one of the super against Pepperdine. Then you drop game two. It's a, it's a, you catch a tough loss in that one. What was their panic? You guys have a 10 game win streak and then suddenly it's snapped and you're one game from Omaha. You're also one game from elimination. I, I, th I really think that there was just like such a, such an energy about our team uh, going into that third game. We, we really realized that, you know, that was kind of that game two wasn't really, um, you know, we didn't play poorly. It was just kind of a case of you run into a buzzsaw like Aaron Brown. There's only so much you can do. Um, and, you know, that that game was really special because of how we won it. We won it on like a safety squeeze. Um, that's how we got the go ahead run. And uh, for the most part, like, I don't really remember there being any type of panic in that situation. We were, we were all ready for, for that, that third game. 
you did Omaha twice. The the experience in general is it is it more enjoyable going the first time or the second time? Like there are things are there things you can enjoy more the first time or versus more the second time? It's a really interesting question, and I don't know how to answer it. Like I I, I think experiencing it for the first time was really special, um, but I definitely enjoyed it a lot more the second time because I knew kind of how um, you know specifically about the baseball operations and kind of how the schedule worked and how the locker rooms were and the dugout and the field and everything was kind of oriented. It, it almost does feel like you've done it, uh, you know, just the other week. And so for me, I, I really enjoyed both. Um, I really enjoyed getting my first win. Uh, uh, but for the most part, like I, I, it, they both hold a very special place uh, in in my memory. 2014, you get the ball the again in the opener against Texas Tech. Texas Tech had gotten you pretty good earlier that season. I was kind of browsing the stats. Seems like as good as you got tagged in that year because you didn't often get tagged. What changed? Like, did you did you just have it one night as opposed to another? Or did you come into that second start with a completely different game plan or idea of what you were going to do against a Texas Tech team? So I actually have talked to someone who was uh, on tech uh, those, those two years, my, my final two years, and they, they let me know that uh, Coach Tadlock had told them, like, hey, do not, you know, wait around. You have to hit, hit him. You have to, you know, get a fastball, um, you know, get it up and just swing. And so for me, it was just I didn't really execute in the regular season. Uh, I, I don't think my pitches were noticeably bad, but I do remember – they were just hitting everything. Um, they, they did not let a pitch go by that I was like, okay, I'm glad I got away with that. Every t- every single time that you know I was around the zone, uh, around a hot zone, they they would swing. And then for uh, Omaha, it was a little bit different. I was a little more sharper. I was able to work the edges a little bit better. And so those swings go from line drives over the second baseman's head to ground ball to second base, and just kind of. Um, I was just a little bit sharper in terms of the execution on that, on those. Did you kind of on that subject, did you feel like your margins were very slim in, in college where as a, as a control guy, a guy without a lot of overpowering velo or overpowering breaking stuff, did you feel like if you were not, you know, at your 95th percentile of, of hitting your spots and stuff like that, that you were, you had a chance of running into danger? Well, Thanks to college umpires, no. Um, <laughs> I I could I could pretty pretty wear out uh, you know the the space that's between the black of the plate and the chalk of the other batter's box. I could I could wear that out pretty pretty good. And so uh, it, it wasn't really about being perfect. It was more just about set, setting your sights right um, for me, and that just means you know aim small, miss small. If I'm going to try to throw a pitch, it's, it's having that emphasis that we, we talked about earlier. If I'm throwing a pitch down and away, the most important thing is to get it down. If I'm throwing a pitch in, the most important thing is to get it in. It doesn't really matter too much about the height. And so um, I, I did not ever really feel like that unless I was off my game. You know, there's, everyone goes through those starts where, you know, you don't really know uh, you're not throwing the ball consistently, your fastballs going one way, 
um, you're, you're missing with, with every, uh, every changeup or whatever the case is, there's always that, um, that aspect of it. But for the most part, I was never really trying to be perfect. And before that college world series, you had had, I presumably, and, and per the stuff I read communication with, with major league organizations saying you're not, you wouldn't, wouldn't sign, you weren't intending on, on signing. What were those conversations like? And what was that a difficult decision to make at all just based on conversations you'd had about how they viewed you as a draft prospect? Um, the conversations were real brief. Um, it was two organizations, I believe, just kind of real informal, just uh, kind of spitballing on, on day two. Uh, and so for me, I just kind of had something in mind where if, unless it was going to, you know, be a significant amount of money that was going to be something that I would look back in five years if I wasn't playing and be glad about that decision. Um, it, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to leave. I really wanted to, to be a four-year guy. I really wanted to continue my education. I, and then honestly, a big part of it was I wanted to win a national championship. Um, and I thought we had a really good team uh, that, that would return. So um, it, it, it was less about, you know, what they thought of me and more about what I kind of wanted, um, you know, for the next year. You guys get bounced out of Omaha. You come back for that senior year, obviously national championship. And for most college baseball players, like that's the number one priority, you know, want to win, especially after all you've been through with that, that TCU club and that, and that freshman class did, did individual legacy matter at all? Was it something you thought about, um, you know, TCU career records, a lot of them you were creeping in on before you started your senior season and, and, and ended up accomplishing some of those and, and still hold some TC records. Is that at, you know, at 21, 22 years old, is that something you thought about like your legacy at the school as an individual versus as a team? No, no, not really. And, and I'm not just saying that just to try to sound good, but I really was uh, really focused on our team that year. We had, so many arms. We had a really experienced team, um, a, a big group of, you know, really ex experienced uh, seniors, um, just overall talent too, you know. And so for me, like, I was happy to take the Saturday spot, you know. They put me between Kyle Alexander, Alex Young, lefties, and let me be the guy who was in between. So they, you know, hairs are getting different looks day to day. And then also I, I was typically the guy that tried to, uh, you know, be a little more efficient, maybe save the bullpen a couple more arms. So, you know, our, our top line bullpen guys could go Friday, Sunday. Um, and that, that's, that's just what I wanted to do. I wanted to see if we could uh, put it together and win a national championship. Back in you know, you get back to Omaha as a senior, you guys, you know, same thing after uh, winning a, a just an incredible super regional against, against, will you actually take me there to that, that, that walk, that super regional walk-off win? Super regional. I, you know, there were two different times that postseason where I was convinced in my head that we were done um, against NC state um, in, in the regional round. And then also that third game, you know, I thought we were done. I thought we were toast. But um, there was just something that, you know, that, you know, you just keep playing the game. And our, our guys just kept on uh, putting together good at-bats and uh, strung a couple things together. And so 
it was it was insane like you go from the bottom feeling like you're about to cry the the world's over and then you know not you know 30 minutes later you're dogpiling and it's uh it's the best feeling in the world you go back to omaha again again you've got the ball in game one you're facing lsu lsu that year has has alex bregman in, in his draft year College is a little different than pro ball. Pro ball, like everyone is good. Everyone is good in college. These guys start for LSU, but not everyone is is as good. Some guys are just way better in college. Do you consciously pitch around a guy like like Bregman in a college lineup, whether it's Bregman or, or you know some of the some of the guys these Big Twelve schools had that that were high round picks or something like that? When a guy has that little bit extra where everyone's good, but that guy is, you know, he's put up like 30 war so far in his career. Like, do you, do you say, I'm just not going to let this guy beat me? Yeah, that, that's a good way to think about it. But at the same time, you, you you're a competitor, right? And I was going to so, ask about the competitor aspect too. Like you want to get him out as well. Yeah, exactly. And I do remember uh, striking him out on a fastball that was between the black of the plate and the lefty batter's box. And it definitely was not a uh, MLB strike, but I got it. Um, he seems like a really calm, even keel dude. So I'm sure he took that really well. <laughs> well, but to, to answer the question, yeah, those guys, there are guys where you kind of circle before the series saying, hey, you know, we're not going to let him beat us. You know, if there's a situation where we get behind, we're going to keep pitching aggressively. We're not going to give in. You know, whenever you get down 2-0, to, to a guy like Bregman, the worst thing you can do is say, I'm not going to walk him. Because the next thing you know, you, you pipe a fastball and, you, you know, you're breaking your neck looking at it go 425 feet, right? And so for him and other guys like him, it was just if I had the opportunity and I was aggressive early, I felt like I could get ahead with certain pitches and then try to finish them off. And um, for the most part, that's, that's, that's what, you know, TCU preached really is, you know, pitch to your strengths, be aggressive. But if this guy gets ahead, it's 2-0, don't be, don't give in, don't give in and just give him a cookie. You pick that win up at LSU, you get your, get your Omaha win. Um, you guys get bounced out uh, a week later by, you know, tough Vanderbilt team, Danzy Swanson led Vanderbilt team. How long does it take for like pride of accomplishment and what you, your senior class did during your time at TCU to outweigh the, the sting of not winning at Omaha, if ever? It's really hard to, uh, to, to let that go, you know, especially with all the, the kind of this quote decision you have to make the, the summer before of coming back. And so, you know, you believe from, you know, September of, of, the uh, you know of the fall all the way until that last out that you you can do it you can get that big ring and I really think it it did take me um, a really long time to to get out of uh, the kind of TCU bubble and think about like other people that I was around in the Cubs organization and kind of like how their college careers went or how their uh, amateur careers went and just to really appreciate kind of uh, what we were able to do. Walk me through the draft process with the Cubs. Cause as a senior side, you're, you know, in rounds like three to three to 10, you're, you're very attractive because you have no leverage and you're going to save someone money. So how did, how did you wind up dropping to the Cubs as an eighth round pick? You know, I remember uh, just kind of hanging out that day. Um, I think I got maybe 
two other calls before that just from the the local guy just saying hey you, we might take you the next round or whatever um never worked out but uh for the i really don't remember anything too special about it i didn't i wasn't really tuned in watching i was just kind of hanging out um so for me it was all about um you know because we were still in postseason at that time um just really not trying to take my eye off the ball. And that was something that, you know, the coaches and some other people I had talked to um, really preached to me was just let this thing play out on its own. Don't worry about, you know, where you land, what, what, uh, what organization it is. Just think about, um, you know, the rest of, of your career at TCU. You land with the Cubs, you sign for the, the senior sign special of $30,000 again, same kind of thing as when you came into to TCU, you know, you know, the stats, you know, the importance of velocity in, in professional, especially in professional baseball, your BA scouting report says that at that point, you're mid to high eighties. We know now that velocity and, and then it was kind of like the start of, Hey, velocity can be developed. Did you feel any pressure to, you know, it, you come off this all American run in college, but did you feel any pressure once you got into pro ball? Like, I need to pick it up a little bit from a velocity perspective. No, I, I really didn't. Um, for the most part, the coordinators with the Cubs just kind of let me be me. Um, a couple of them, you know, gave me different things to try or um, said, hey, you should try standing over here, standing on that side of the rubber, um, maybe throwing this pitch more. Um, but for me, honestly, I think it was just I actually kind of got OK at working out, um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I never have been the strongest person, never uh, was really good at working out. Um, but just when you do that over and over for, for years, um, I think it starts to, to build a little bit. And then also you go from college ball, which you basically have a fall season, break it down. Then you get your spring season. I never really played summer ball except for, for USA, but that was kind of just like, I think I threw maybe four innings or something like that. Um, so you go from that where you got two different seasons to, okay, you got to build up your arm starting in December, January, and that's got to last you until, uh, mid, you know, mid September sometimes. How, what is that process really of like building up the arm? And did you, you, did you know that was coming? Did you, I mean, everyone hits the wall that first year where you, did you put some things into play that, because the first year, it seems like things went well for you. Like, did you put some things into play that first off season to say, I'm going to, I'm going to break through this wall when it hits. I don't remember doing anything special that off season. Uh, I followed their plan. I also had a really good, uh, you know, resource with coach Los and coach Deccan, who's the uh, strength guy at TCU. And I really think that, you know, me just doing my normal uh, preparation, just a little bit longer, knowing that I had a lot more to go. Um, that's, that's, you know, that's what got me there. And then um, I think also I was never a, uh, a one bullpen guy in college. Whenever I threw, I would make sure I get two bullpens in. And so I, 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 I was able to kind of carry that into pro ball um, by cutting down one of the bullpens. I, I definitely saved my arm a little bit. Uh, your first full season, I've got to ask, what is April in South Bend, Indiana like? I remember someone was watching the game that I threw, 
and they said they could not read my name or my number because it was snowing so hard. Oh my God. Um, it was, it was pretty miserable. I am such a warm weather guy. I, I hated uh, the cold up there. It was, it was really hard, you know, for me to, to get used to the cold. I, I never did. Uh, as you can probably tell by my early season numbers. Um, but you know, you just kind of have to roll with it. How does sequencing change and like your thinking about attacking hitters evolve in, in the, at the next level in pro ball, like your, your stats, your, your first full year, low, a high, a, you actually, you lower ERA, like, was it as copy paste as, as it looks, or did you have to change how you went about really anything during that first full season? I wouldn't say copy paste, but it was a very similar approach, honestly, at those lower levels in short season and in low a there, there were guys towards the back half of the lineup that they might have that physical skill, but they don't yet have the, the plate discipline or they don't really have the at-bats under their belt to go, to go with you sequence-wise. So there was a couple guys where, you know, I knew that I could tie them up or, uh, you know, just kind of out-pitch them. I didn't really have to worry about um, throwing the perfect pitch um, to those guys. But um, I, I think that really just kind of changed uh, my last two years. I, I, I wasn't able to do the same uh, things that I had done, uh, at TCU in my first year. And so, yeah, for the most part, that first year, it was really just the same, same kind of approach that I had always had. Like I mentioned earlier, you signed for the the kind of senior sign, no leverage special of $30,000. How, how early did you have to start tapping into that in order just to cover living expenses in the minor leagues? Uh, I mean, immediately, obviously, um, you know, you have these grand visions of I'm going to sign for a, a bunch of money. I'm going to, you know, get all of this nice stuff or get a car or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I like to think I'm pretty pragmatic. So um, I, I, I didn't really think about, I really just tried to use that money to, to help us, um, you know, get through the season. Um, I, I, and I was really lucky that I have, you know, really great parents who, you know, took care of me whenever I, uh, wasn't able to with, uh, with finances. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's always very humbling to, to, you know, tell people what that number actually was when they hear that, Oh, you, you were a draft pick. Oh, you, you, you know, all American at TCU. Like, yeah, I made $40,000 <laughs> with that. The all American at TCU, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the team USA thing, all these guys, you know, they majority of that team USA team, they got, they got broken off at the next level. They, they all at least had a quality signing bonus with that. You got to school, you know, you, you left school five years before NIL. If there's any baseball player in TCU history who could have benefited from NIL as much as you, it seems like I, I it'd be hard pressed to find someone who, who would have as much as you, like when you see, you know, when you see that now, just what are, what are your thoughts? I would I would assume that you are in support of of NIL and just like how would that have impacted your life if, especially as a guy who was not on baseball scholarship, if you were able to capitalize on the fact that you were an All American at TCU for multiple years? Yeah, I I really do think it's great. Um, you know, obviously, part of me thinks, you know, man, I wish we had that when I was playing, 
but you know, I, I think that's in the past for me now. I'm really excited what it can do for some of the non-football sports, non-basketball guys. Um, it it's really special to 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 go to TCU, but then also you have the community, and then to to layer in the NIL opportunities of the alumni uh, surrounding Fort Worth. It's uh, I'm really excited to see you know how this continues to develop the team continues to just make the the sport a little bit better um you know part of me thinks that you know is there an opportunity for more talent to go from high school to college um because they might get you know a decent payday at a at a at a you know division one program as opposed to just having to take the check because of some type of financial circumstance uh, part of me you know wishful thinking thinks that that could be the case and that could make the game even um, even better and uh, have an opportunity to highlight more teams. I would agree. And it probably, I mean, if we're looking back on hindsight, it probably makes your decision to stay as a senior even easier. If you, if you know that there's a little bit of financial incentive for you to stay, as opposed to having to turn away all your leverage, you know, as you did. Um, so you, like I said, you kind of, you fly through, through low A and high A during your first full year, you, you, you lower, you have a lower ERA your first season of pro ball than you did your senior season of TCU when you were very, very good. So that kind of says a lot to uh, how things went in pro ball, Um, higher strikeout rate, you know, all the signs are clicking before double A in 2017. When was the last time you felt like you had had a few rough weeks on the bump aside from like just cold weather, this sucks kind of thing. Um, I do think I had some trouble my sophomore year um, going back to the depth of lineups in the big 12 versus the mountain West. So there were some times where I felt like I was getting hit a little bit more. I wasn't able to pitch as, as deep into games as, you know, I was accustomed to, but to be honest, yeah, that was kind of the first time where I had real trouble for, for more than a couple weeks at a time. Um, it was definitely something that was, super taxing on me mentally and physically. And it was really, uh, it was really my first time having to go through that. What does your mid start work look like when, when things aren't going as well, when you aren't missing as many bats and you aren't getting the kind of results you're hoping for? Like when you go back to that midweek bullpen, what is it you're searching for that you're hoping will bring you success the next time out? So I kind of remember it as like a, a double whammy. So not only was I having, you know, trouble with my starts, but I was also trying to get used to a five man rotation because the Cubs at the, at, you know, in 2016 had a six man rotation for both low a and high a. And so I, you know, if I had a six, six day rotation to work off of, maybe I could throw a a back to back bullpen kind of a situation, but, um, you know, when you're going through it, I, I, I really tried to uh, use like less bullpen work and more kind of preparation work. Okay. You know, maybe I, I really think that for me, it was my pitch sequencing in 16 or sorry, 17 and 18 that really kind of did me in going back to my changeup. It had been kind of a splittery, hard, straight down movement. And we had tried some things and it turned into a little slower, same, 
same movement path as my fastball. And so hitters were able to kind of stay on it more. Um, and then we also changed my, my, my breaking ball as well. And so for me, it was those new pitches, the, the five day, uh, plan or sorry, the five day rotation, and then all just going through all the, the difficulties that really kind of, uh, snowballed for me. After those years of starting, you get, you get moved to the pen in, in that 2017 season in double a starting routine is, is baked into you at that point. You've been starting since you were pretty much 18 uh, at, at TCU and you haven't really sniffed the pen in years. What did that do to your routine? And then your strategy on the Hill as you, were you hoping to pitch your way back into the rotation or at that point, are you just like hanging on, trying to survive and saying, I'm going to figure out this bullpen thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely trying to stay alive. I was trying to <laughs> not, not get demoted. Um, I think like it was, you're right. It was really hard for me. I had kind of perfected my routine uh, from my days at TCU. That's kind of one thing that they, they harped on was having a routine, um, you know, from the moment you step, step in the locker room for, for your start day. Um, and then to not have that, it was not only new, but um, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do uh, from a kind of bullpen uh, guy prep standpoint was I going to be a guy that just kind of sat there and just kind of let it rip once my my name was called or was I you know going to be a guy that was up and stretching constantly having you know the 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 weighted balls to to keep your arm loose or the, the bands or whatever and so um the unfamiliarity with with that was really tough um and so I, I don't really know that year I kind of never got into a groove. I definitely did um, in 18, but it was definitely something that I just trial and error, just trying to um, get, get used to. We think of relievers as guys coming into the game and like, Hey, I'm going to air it out. Like guys, you know, they, they pick up a lot. So like we think of your teammate, Brandon Finnegan coming in, in the, in the world series and just fastball slidering everyone to death. What was what was airing it out for you in the bullpen? Like, what was the starter you versus the the bullpen guy as far as that that on mound sequencing and and what did your repertoire look like? I mean, I definitely did try to air it out, you know, in the pen as I'm getting ready, and I feel like I'm throwing smoke, and I look back and everyone's kind of you know chuckling, like, <laughs> uh, you know, that's just me get, getting my arm loose. But as far as like getting into the game instead of trying to focus on putting my effort into velocity and, you know, getting the ball to the, to the plate quick, I was trying to put my effort on, uh, you know, whatever pitch it was getting the spin, right. Ripping my slider, uh, you know, getting the right, the right look on my change up. And so it's, it was less about, Hey, the physical effort, like I'm a, you know, I'm an, I'm, you know, trying to just uh, throw it as hard as I can. And it was more, I, I want to, you know, spin a good pitch. I want to put the ball in a good place. That 2018 year in double A, when was the first time you got put on the, the phantom IL? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I try to block that out. I feel like um, it happened maybe a few different times and there was just a bunch of different things going on um, where, you know, there were, there were different guys coming in. Uh, I was having some success in terms of some pitches, but uh, other pitches were, were not working for me. Um, and so the consistency wasn't there. Um, and so 
it's just really hard to, to, to pin that down in my mind. I've really blocked it out. When you're, when that's happening to you, when you're suddenly being pushed from active to inactive, you know, out of, out of no choice of your own, not because you're not healthy is, are you still having fun? Like, do you still like going to the ballpark when you're putting in the work? You know, you hear a lot of guys say that they retire because it's the, the things in between the game that they don't want to do anymore. Is it, is, does that make putting in the work more difficult when it doesn't feel like you're even going to get a chance to show it out? I, I really didn't ever feel like I wanted to quit. I definitely, definitely did feel bad for myself uh, for the first time pro- professionally or, or, you know, baseball wise. The, the biggest thing was like for me trying to start each day anew, be like, okay, this is the day I turn it around and I finish out the season good. And then I, you know, do that for a couple of weeks and that doesn't happen. And then you get put back on the phantom or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that was really hard. Um, but I never really felt like, you know, there, there wasn't like a stretch where I, I was not enjoying it um, at all. Obviously it sucks to, to not pre- uh, perform sucks to be put on the phantom, but I still, understood that I had an opportunity at that time. You talked about the support system you had while you were at TCU and like, uh, especially, you know, coach Sarlus's tutelage and things like that. When you're going through it in pro ball, who are you, who can you lean on to say, Hey, help me get better. Like how much of that or how much of that just has to be self, you know, internally self self done. I, I tried everything. I tried talking to, um, all the coaches at TCU, all, you know, all of them, they, they all had a really good, um, you know, experience uh, just in terms of like guys that they knew that went through it, guys that they knew that, you know, are big leaguers, um, tried talking to them. You, you of course, tried talking to the guys with the Cubs, um, tried talking to your teammates, tried talking to former TCU guys, tried to you know, talk to your dad. It's everything at that point, right? Because um, it, it does feel a little helpless when you put in all that work, but um, you're not seeing any type of results uh, that you know that that are going well. When did you, after that 2018 season, when did you make the decision to say this is I'm I'm hanging up the cleats? Yeah, um, I kind of thought about it probably a month before the season ended. And I told, you know, my wife now who, who, you know, we were dating at the time um, that I was thinking about it, um, but definitely knew I was going to finish out the season, you know, gave it my, my, my best shot. Um, I get back to Fort Worth for the off season, kind of, you know, take a few weeks to, to decompress. And I kind of sit back and evaluate, like, I, I don't have what I had a few years ago. Um, I really did not want to be a guy that looked up in three years from then and still be in double A AA or triple A. Um, and so I called McLeod um, at that time, Jason McLeod and told him I was done. And, you know, he was like, you know, let's give it a couple more weeks. We'll send you the paperwork. Then I'm like, that's fine. Like, well, I'll, I'll still think about it. Um, they still like me that they, they, you know, wanted me to come back as a right-handed specialist, if you've ever heard of one. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, this is what I tell people 
who, who ask about my retirement. Um, you know, I don't think that I could say that I never would have made it. Um, but I don't think that it would have been worth me spending three years in the minors to, to get a cup of coffee um, in the big leagues. So that was just kind of my thought process behind it. Like I said before, I try to be pragmatic. Um, I try to look at the numbers on this stuff. So um, that, was, that was just kind of the decision. What was that first spring like after? Um, what was that first spring like? Well, I went back to class. That was, uh, <laughs> that was the first thing. Um, and people are going to, I don't know if people are going to think this is interesting or not, but I thought that was the easiest semester of my life. I was like, what do I have to do? Like go lift? No, to go practice. No, like study for a little bit and go to class. Okay. Yeah. All right. The easiest days of my life. But um, I, I did feel weird because I was a little bit older than some of the people in the class. And like, I didn't know anybody in, in my, uh, in my college. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a different experience, but kind of, kind of glad to, that I had something to do already lined up once I, you know, decided I, I was done. If you could go back and give yourself a pep talk at 22, at signing day, when you signed with the Cubs, what would that pep talk look like? I think what I would tell myself is that trust your stuff a little more. Uh, don't take every piece of advice. That, that was probably my biggest regret is taking a few pieces of advice that were, you know, you know, told to me to do. And, you know, they didn't feel right. They didn't work. And, it, you know, they weren't ever going to work. And, you know, in my opinion, I should have, uh, you know, taken more ownership of my career. That's, that's kind of one thing that people say. Um, I, I kind of let some other people dictate uh, dictate my final year or two. I got a quick rapid fire for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. Awesome. Favorite minor league ballpark? Uh, I like Fort Wayne. It's a great, okay. it's a great ballpark. I, I think it plays plays up in the in the Midwest League. You kind of, you know, when I was in the Midwest League, there there's some, you know, there's some, you know, old ballparks and some uh, so, some not so great places. But uh, that was always a great relief, and we played there quite often when I was with uh, South Bend. Yeah, the Tin Caps. Uh, favorite college ballpark that is not Lupton or TDA? Um, Ole Miss was pretty cool, uh, even though we got swept. <laughs> But I did get to see the uh, the Grand Slam, uh, the, their beer shower in person, and it was like forty degrees that day. Uh, it was the first weekend of this of of the year, and that place was packed. They were loud. It was super fun environment. Other than the fact that we lost, I'd assume it is good to see that in person when you are not on the bump in person, like in the dugout in person. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't really look at it or stare at it because you know. That's, that's, you know, your teammate just gave up a home run, but, um, you know, that would honestly be a place that I would love to go watch a game at, uh, at some point, um, just, you know, as a casual fan, would you rather get a strikeout or generate like a weak, embarrassing ground ball? You know, the type. Oh God. Uh, ground ball. Um, one of my favorite things was, you know, getting that weak ground ball, the guy going back into the dugout slamming his helmet saying he's not that effing good and uh everyone in the ballpark can hear it and uh that that gives me a lot more satisfaction than striking a guy out big time rush uh best hitter you ever faced Ooh, um 
Rafael Devers hit hit a ball off me uh, in high A playoffs. I I I threw a backup slider, and it was about a foot and a half off the plate, and he hit it out in uh, in Salem. So uh, that's pretty special. Salem plays big too. Yeah, it was uh it it was just kind of one of those moments where I was like, I can't be mad. Um, I you know he just kind of got it. Uh, favorite Fort Worth food spot. Uh, the original Mexican eats, uh, oldest place, uh, in Fort Worth for uh, Mexican food. And I, I'm not joking. I probably have been there 150 times. I'll have to go next time. Uh, you and you and I both have rescue dogs. Uh, what is the, the one sentence pitch of why someone should choose a rescue dog? I think it's just, um, you know, you have the ability to, to make this dog's life better. And that dog is also going to make your life better. If, if you're just, you know, getting a dog from a breeder just because you want a special dog or a certain type of dog, rather, um, you know, there's all these different types of uh, sp- breed specific rescue groups. You know, I really feel like it's it's really changed my life um, having my wife who introduced me to it and now runs a uh, nonprofit uh, based on uh, helping these dogs. And it's uh, it's something super special. I know that's not one sentence, but uh I stand by it. No, works for me. Everyone get a rescue dog. Last one. Everyone gets this. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? Um, yes. Yeah. So there was one time where we were in Birmingham um, and our bus driver, wait, so, you know, you finish the game, last game of the series, you load up afterwards, you, you know, get out of Dodge 11, 12, one o'clock, whatever it was. And so we're, you know, five miles from Knoxville, Tennessee after five mi- five hours on the bus. And we're five miles from our stadium to unload. And we got to stop at the gas station because the, uh, <laughs> the bus driver forgot to fill up in, in Birmingham. And so we're just sitting, you get off and it's a 45 minute hour ordeal because you have to, you know, get it weighed, you know, can't be on the bus at all. And so that was, that was a nightmare. That, that was one of those, uh, one of those trips you wish you could forget everyone's got at least one uh preston morrison that's all i've got for you thank you so much for joining from phenom to the farm thank you so much for having me kyle i really appreciate it you got it man and that's it for today's episode of from phenom to the farm big thanks to preston morrison for stopping by walking us through his all-american career uh, if you enjoyed this episode please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate and leave a review if you're on apple podcast and we will be back in two weeks thanks for listening